Hi, welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Robbins, and I'm a psychologist and medium. And here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today on the show, I have Anne Moss Rogers. Anne is the author of the book, Diary of a Broken Mind, and is an emotionally naked motivational speaker who helps people foster a culture of connection to prevent suicide and find life after loss. Despite her family's best efforts, Anne Moss's 20-year-old son Charles died by suicide June 5, 2015, after many years of struggling with anxiety, depression, and ultimately addiction. Anne Moss started a blog, EmotionallyNaked.com, and chronicled her family's tragedy in a newspaper article that went viral. She has been featured in the New York Times and was the first suicide loss survivor ever invited to speak at the National Institute of Mental Health. She lives in Richmond, Virginia with her husband, Randy. Her surviving son, Richard, is a filmmaker living his dream in L.A. Welcome, Anne, to the program. Thank you. And I have to say that my first name is actually Anne Moss. It's a double name. It's a Southern thing. <laughs> okay. Anne Moss. Yes. I apologize about that. No, no. I have to tell everybody that unless <laughs> they were born in North Carolina. <laughs> well, I certainly was not. I'm a Midwestern girl. So Anne Moss. Yes. All one. That's okay. it. So first, let's start. I love the name of your blog. Why did you come up with Emotionally Naked? Well, I had just lost my son to suicide and I was, well, no, it was about nine months later. And I was running and I thought, I need to start a blog because I had been writing on Facebook. And what I found is I couldn't find those posts when I wanted, you know, somebody would ask a question and I want to send a link to them. And doing that on Facebook is difficult. So I said, you know, I need to start a blog, you know, like the rest of the world. And then I thought, you know, I'm also, that's not that original. And I said, you know, I'm going to do that anyway. And what am I going to call it? And I'm running and all of a sudden it hits me. I'm going to call it emotionally naked. I ran home so fast. And I mean, I started it that day. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a few tweaks and I used a real basic WordPress theme and that started to feel good and i transferred some of my posts from facebook the ones i could find into the blog and i just started writing i needed to write um it hurt so much and i just needed to find some relief and the funny part is with writing it actually hurts so much while you're doing it But then afterwards, there is a feeling of relief or release, like I can Mm -hmm. let it go. And that felt good to me. So I put my diary or my journal online. And I wouldn't say that was something everybody should do. But it worked for me. Well, and I think, you know, for my listeners who we've been talking about sort of when you get divine guidance or some sort of 
something that feels bigger than you kind of pushing you towards something. It feels like that's what happened for you when you're when you were running, which when I could run was very meditative. And I found things would come to me in that space as well is that you're open in a way and it sounds like you felt a pull towards something and then just went with it. I did. There have been several instances where things have felt like that, Amy, and this was one of them. And being on stage the first time, speaking about my son, I'm a you know professional speaker on the subject. And you have a TED Talk, which is wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The first time I was on stage after he died and I was talking about him, I thought, before I got on, I thought, I hope I make it through. And once I got out there and I started doing it, I felt him with me because he was really good on stage. And he was, hmm. that's where he didn't feel depressed or anxious. And he thrived on that. And once I felt him with me, I was addicted and I just couldn't let go. So there have been several times things have happened that, or something's happened that I can't quite explain. And I can't, and I'm a big skeptic and I'm not like super, oh my gosh, there's this third world, but it's really opened me up to really understanding that yeah there is there's something out there there's something that we can't define Mm -hmm. and i just can't even explain it and sometimes i want to hold on to those moments and then they just you know vaporize Mm -hmm. yeah i know it's so hard when you have that experience because you want to freeze time you do Exactly. It feels like you're not, you're, you're bigger. It feels bigger than a human experience. It does. And this whole thing feels that way. Like, why would I sell a successful company and go make nothing? You know, I'd make something now, but not like I made before. Why would I spend three years when I just sold a company that had a potential to be, you know, make me a million dollars? I don't know. I just, that's not where my passion was. And something was pushing me forward to share this cause. Mm-hmm. And it's been brutal. <laughs> it's been just brutal. It's like pushing a spike ball uphill. I mean, it's, you know, suicide, addiction, mental illness. Oh, yeah, everybody wants to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. And it feels like you're, you're in the muck. It's, it's mucky. It is mucky. And where I get the most support is other people who have traveled this journey that I'm on or ones that fear that any day they may be traveling the same journey. The journey of a loss of a child or the journey of a loss of a child to suicide? Both. I mean, you know, there is the journey to the life loss of a child because loss of a child, no matter what, hurts. Yeah, and I think that any parent would say that they're that's their biggest fear yes you know probably bigger than even something happening to them is the the anticipated pain of losing a child and it's every it's it's nothing like i thought because i did imagine it my son suffered from depression and addiction and it crossed my mind that he would die of overdose 
suicide never, ever entered my mind. That was a complete and total shock to me. But yeah, I, and I thought, well, if I lost him, he would be, you do think at some point, well, maybe, maybe that would give them some relief. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, can't believe I thought that. But all of us have, after talking to a lot of mothers, and they'll guiltily, you know, look down. And they thought about it, too, when they've struggled with a child a lot. Because, you know, you see what kind of quality of life are they going to have. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you just don't know. And then you refuel and you come back and... And certainly, you know, it just kind of was a fleeting thought maybe once or twice, you know, in years and years and years of struggling. Yeah, and I love your honesty around that. It's like, would would it be better for them to not struggle and suffer like this? Right, and I, it's, I probably don't know that I would say it on any other podcast other than this one, to be honest with you, because Mm -hmm. it does make me sound sort of dismissive, like I wanted this to happen. But Mm -mm, mm -mm. in speaking to other parents, it did flash in their mind. And after I lost him, there was this thought of, I wondered that at one point, I wonder if that caused or made this happen. Mm -hmm. And of course it wasn't. You know, because there have other been parents that have told me, well, I thought that and it didn't happen, you know, or it hasn't right. happened. So right. Right. you just see a human being suffer to a point and you understand sometimes that they don't want to be here. Although I never knew Charles was suicidal ever. And I've, would have helped him if I had known what to do or, mm-hmm. or known that he struggled in that way. And it wasn't until after I read his lyrics that he left that I understood he struggled with thoughts of suicide for many years. I mean, probably mm-hmm. since middle school. Mm-hmm. And there's so much shame around it. There is. And I think that people think that when you put when you put words to suicide or you have someone talk about what they're feeling or thinking around it, it's gonna increase the probability that they're gonna do it. And I remember learning in grad school that it's actually quite the opposite. That if someone is having those thoughts, the more you can engage them in conversation around it, the less likely they are to actually act on it. You're exactly right. I mean question I get from every parent is if you talk about suicide, won't I give them the idea? And I can understand. If they're thinking about it, they've got, right? It's already. You're thinking about it, it's already an idea for them. And what is it? Five or six studies have proved that more people reach out when you start to discuss suicide. Now, if you are with teenagers and you get real specific giving, talking real emotional topics like method and going into just really graphic detail. But that's, you know, that's not acceptable conversation to share with anyone, least of all young people. 
So except your therapist, you can talk about it with your therapist. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and so, some of us mothers do with each other. We will mm-hmm. pull aside and sometimes we will have those very private conversations of I didn't walk in on my child, but a number of people I know did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just need to talk about that. And I'm okay with listening to that. And most human beings are not. Yeah. Well, we don't do, we don't, one, because it's so painful, right, Mm -hmm. to to hear someone experience that. And two, we typically don't do a great job talking about death in our culture, No. no matter how someone gets there. So the combination of that makes for tough conversations. It does. And so all these things I speak about are just, topics that are high rejection and pushback and oh no we don't want to talk about that here or we don't want to talk about it at you know at cocktail hour or breakfast or brunch Mm -hmm. and or while we're sleeping or on vacation (laughs) so forever oh well you know (laughs) never would be good And so when people experience a loss like this, it's often difficult to make meaning out of it. But you've done that. So how, how have you made meaning out of your son's loss? I mainly because I focused on the fact that he connected with human beings in a way that other people don't. And that's what made him so popular because he was the funniest, most popular kid in school. And I decided that that connection piece was where I would focus things because as as funny and as talented as he was, I think that was his greatest gift was letting other people know that they matter. And Mm. that's pretty much the legacy that I'm pushing forward. And at first, I didn't see any thing other than how am I going to make it from one day to the next and then I decided I would go public with the topics because it was because I was not educated that I missed the signs of my own son's suicide which could have been bullet points under the phrase what do people thinking of suicide say Hmm. and I thought we need to have more of a conversation about this So I also became, in addition to keynote speaking, I I do a a workshop called Safe Talk. And that's to educate people in the community on what people say um, and then what to do. So it's a four-hour evidence-based training. And it's one of those things I do to give back to my community because when I give, I get back and I heal. And that's kind of been the strategy that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think so many people can kind of isolate themselves when something like this happens. And then you just feel more and more removed right. from life. And I have talked to people who said, well, the only way I survive is that I don't talk about it. But they'll be 15 years out and they're still struggling in a very, in a way that is more indicative of early grief. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I didn't want to be stuck there. So in my case, I think letting it out in some way, talking about it, writing about it, 
you can't push that pain away. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't. I mean, it's it's kind of I'll always say grief is like a girdle. If you put it on, and then you squeeze it too tight, you know that grief is going to come out, pop out somewhere, like right, does. Right. and it might not look as pretty. <laughs> no, and it's going to be real right. ugly because it comes out in like anger, bitterness, um, not moving forward with your life, not participating in, with family. And that basically can just ruin the rest of your own life. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't want that for myself. Well, and you said, I was taking notes while you were speaking because you wrote down the greatest gift was him letting other people know that they matter. Yeah. And what, I mean, at 20, what an amazing gift to give people yeah he was like to know that at 20 that that's important he always did know that and he always did it i mean if a new kid came to school i mean he'd be the first one at the door um greeting the child do you want to sit with me at lunch um the moving band would pull in the neighborhood he was the first one at the door I wanted to introduce myself. Would you like to come out and play? I mean, they weren't even unloaded, and he was over there introducing himself. And he was just that kind of person. And somebody shared a story with me that I hadn't heard until after he died. And this young lady said that she suffered from depression. And so one day she went to school, and she was feeling really down. And she's standing in the hallway with a bunch of friends. And she's really, really struggling, but her friends don't know this. And she looks up and she sees Charles staring at her. And she said, Miss Rogers, everybody knew Charles. She said, but I don't think he knew me and we'd never spoken, so I didn't know why he was staring at me. He makes a beeline towards her, stops about a foot in front of her and breaks out into a rap song he created on the spot just for her and of course the friends are like oh my gosh you know who died and made her movie star Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're all kind of stunned and then they start to die laughing and he bends down and he hugs her and he said pretty girls shouldn't look so sad and he made his way down the hall and she said of all the things anybody had ever done for her she would always remember that because, you know, who does that? <laughs> it was original. It was so focused on her in that moment to make herself feel better. And it, you know, he really, he really touched her. And mm-hmm. who does do that? <laughs> do any of us do anything that's that dramatic? Right. For another human being that, mm-hmm. you know, they'll never forget that. Right. like that. It's amazing. He was an and amazing human being. It sounds like it. Even in the short time that we've spoken, like it just sounds like he really knew what mattered. He did. He did. And what? I hate to use the word lessons because I think this feels like it shouldn't, like we shouldn't as 
parents have to learn the lesson of, of losing a child in, in any way, but particularly by suicide. But what do you feel like you've learned and how do you feel like you're living differently? You know, when your child dies, your life is now split up in before and after. So every picture, somebody shows me every incident they tell me about, I classify it immediately in my brain as before or after the death. Mm-hmm. Literally BC, right? Yeah, because BC. that was the day I just became somebody else or mm-hmm. transformed into something else. And I have to say that it forces you to prioritize your life and focus on the things that matter most. And it forces you to find joy in the little things. We always think happiness is like this holy grail that we're going to go find at the top of the mountain. And so, like, and then once we get there, we're done. We're done, you know. Right. But life doesn't work like that. Life is a series of wonderful events and tragedy and the stuff in between. And we need to learn to manage that. And we need to learn how to, you know, however you want to pray or ask for the strength to get through those difficult times because there is joy out there. And we need to be open to seeing it. And if we start seeing everything through a negative lens, that's all we're going to see. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to get up every morning after he died and think of one thing I was grateful for. And let me tell you, that first week, it was not easy. So the first, first week, my God. Oh, I mean. I would imagine the first, you know, at least year, if not. Right. But the first week, it was stuff like, well, at least he wasn't um, killed by a serial killer and dismembered and had, I mean, seriously, I mean, what a thing to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at the start, I was, I struggled to find, Mm -hmm. and then it was, well, my husband's alive and my son's alive. That was one day. And then, you know, so I did kind of a lot of weird ones first before I finally got into a good rhythm of, you know, think of one thing Mm -hmm. you're grateful for that, like, made sense. Mm -hmm. But it worked, you know, and I told myself I would survive. And the way I made it from one day to the next was as bad as it is right now, it will never be as bad as getting the news. That part is Mm -hmm. over. And that will never feel that bad again. Mm -hmm. And also recognizing that grief has its own rhythm, that that pain can be so intense, but it doesn't last forever. And Mm -hmm. you think, oh my gosh, I've got to get out from under this. It's the worst. And you're trying to push away and you finally, you just succumb to it. And then it lifts. And then you're finding some relief. I can get you know, the dishes washed or my underwear cleaned or some other basic task that's been put aside. But at first, just finding any moment or any glimmer is just very difficult. And Mm -hmm. But you emerge a stronger human being. You know, would that have been the way I wanted to do it? Absolutely not. But I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I say this all the time. You and I think I said this when we first spoke. You you do have a choice. That's true. The other choice just you know isn't going to be a life right well lived. Exactly. Right? Not a life well lived, and then. There are parents that when they lose a child to any cause of death, because, you know, losing a child hurts, period, it can't hurt more, um, are more at risk for suicide than the general population. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I did not have those tendencies or those thoughts, but I do know that at least 30% of parents do, and Mm-hmm. That includes people who have never, ever had those thoughts ever before in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would believe it. Because I think to your point, which is beautifully said, when we resist any feeling, I think it just persists and it persists stronger. Right. And so, you know, rather than kind of surrendering to the pain and allowing yourself to feel it, just like you have to do with happiness and joy, like you have to surrender to that and allow yourself to feel it because I believe at any moment it could be the pain, right? I mean, that's the kind of the, the yin and yang of life. And for you to just speak to that is so powerful. It's like just allow yourself to be in the pain because it doesn't last forever. And no feeling, no feeling does. They're all temp- feelings are temporary. And if mm-hmm. you cannot, you can't heal if you can't feel. Mm-hmm. And if you put it aside or you try to numb it with alcohol or drugs because you want to make it to the next day, then you're always going to have to do that to make it to the next day. Mm-hmm. You, you just got to experience it. Right. And I forgot, I heard this at some, I forget where I heard this, but sorry for whoever told me this and I'm not crediting. But if you tell me that, if you're listening and you were the one that told me, I will acknowledge you. Um, all ener- all feelings are emotions is energy in motion, emotion, energy in motion. And if you allow it to kind of move, it will move. It's just energy. Right. Exactly. And I mean, even now, it hurts, but Mm -hmm. I know the rhythm of grief and those waves are much shorter than they used to be. Mm -hmm. So it's the holiday season, which can be so difficult. And we were just talking earlier before I started recording that it's hard. What do you find most helpful during this time of year for people, for yourself, for others? I think it is acknowledging Uh, the pain. It is setting, making plans and having rituals. Um, All of those help you manage that loss. And you want to remember your loved one and think about ways in which you're going to bring them in the conversation. Um, Think about, you know, am I going to hang out the stocking? Am I not? You know, create a new tradition you know, in honor of your loved one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that does help. It's, I tend to go a little bit more spaghetti brain, and it's already starting to kind of happen where I'm <laughs> just kind of a little mushier, not able to follow everything perfectly. 
it's and it'll start to get worse and then right before Christmas it actually lifts and gets a little better because my mm-hmm. my family's around then and that helps but it's all this holiday mishmash and the songs and it's just it just assaults you and mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel physically assaulted by Christmas sometimes and all this extra stuff to do at a time when I'm really struggling. So that month asks more of you. Mm-hmm. And I don't have more to give. I have less to give. And there is some emotional hibernation. You know, I take out moments for myself, mindfulness that, you know, I'd go in the corner and cry and, you know, think about the child I lost. And now this grief thing is my tie to my loved one. And it's it's all of God. Mm-hmm. So those memories, I cuddle up with them more, whereas I would like to have pushed them away at first because they were so intense. But now I invite them in because I, I need those memories to remember it. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful and well said. And I also think that just the acknowledgement of the person you've lost and that at this time of year, so many people are walking around with some sort of loss. And if they're experiencing any kind of mush in their brain, like you are talking about, which I imagine lots of people do, just be kind to everybody, right? Like everybody is is walking through some sort of pain, particularly I think it's illuminated at the time where things in theory are supposed to look happier and more joyful. doesn't mean there's not a lot to be joyful about. It just means that there are people who are also also struggling with, it could be any type of loss. You know, it doesn't have to be loss of, of a child. It can be loss of a parent. It can be a loss of a marriage. It could be loss of a job. It could be loss of a dream that you had that didn't happen. Right. This loss year. of a goal as we're reflecting on what we accomplished this year. All of that. Yeah, this time of year punctuates a lot of things. And again, the giving back is what helps me start to manage those those feelings. Mm-hmm. And I don't demand, you know, if I don't so we finally put out a Christmas tree for the first time last year. But there's a little Christmas tree and decorated it. And it had lights on it. So what we did is we covered it up and put it in the closet. So all we have to do is pull it out this year. And <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and I don't do much decorating. I don't want to. So mm-hmm. I don't ask that of myself. And if I have people over and I have minimal decoration, so be it. I don't care. Right. You know, they know my situation, and I'm mm-hmm. just not going to not have people over because I don't have it beautifully decorated in every corner of the house. That, you know, that's my choice. And there's plenty of decorations everywhere else. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just don't have the energy to put myself in that kind of celebration. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. 
Anne Moss, where can people find you if they're interested? And where can they watch your TED Talk? Probably on TED. Right. <laughs> you can go. Actually, I have a, a speaker site, annemossrogers.com. And it's called Can a Blog Save Lives? And it's at the very top of that page right now. And the other is my blog, Emotionally Naked. And that's where you'll find my book, Diary of a Broken Mind, that sold out at Barnes & Noble twice online when it first came out. So wow, that's pretty impressive. I was pretty excited about that. They didn't buy a huge quantity, but a sellout is a sellout. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If I wrote a book and I sold one, that would be... <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping I, Well, I haven't sold more than one, thank goodness. Right. But, you know, being... Not my husband buying it or my parents. <laughs> that I don't know if that counts. <laughs> so those are all the places they can find you. And it will also be on my show notes. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a great interview with some really, really useful tips for people. So I hope that they can kind of embody some of what you shared whatever their experience is, loss, no significant loss. You said some really profound things that I think people can take with them in their lives. So thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.